We need to get a funny little uh, sound bite for the start, so everyone kind of say something funny to start this shit off. There you go. I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> What is going on, whiskey people? If you're new around here and you're looking for a podcast with two whiskey geeks talking for hours about tastes and notes of one dram with stupid jokes, well, you've come to the wrong place, I'm afraid. Well, you may get the stupid jokes. I'm kind of half lying there. I'm your co-host, Mitch Beshard, and I'm joined by a man many call the oracle of whiskey in New York City. He has been in the US so long now, and he visits his hometown of Dumbarton, People tell him to piss back off again because of his American ways. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the legend in his own mind and still new co-host <laughs> of Not Another Whiskey podcast, Mr. Nicholas Palaki. How are you, mate? I'm very well indeed, Mitch. How's it going? Yeah, yeah, not bad, man. Not bad. What have you been up to? Ah, the usual, the usual. Trying to contain my uh, being a legend in my own mind and building ah. upon that. Uh, speaking of which, with people who are legends within their own minds, we will be joined later and quite a few minutes just by the wonderful Mr. Brendan McCarran. Uh, here's a man that knows his Crosby, Stills and his mash. There you go for your bad joke match right out the gate. Straight uh, on. Yeah, we're going to talk about all things Deanston, Boonahabin and Tobermory. So I'm really excited about today's show. It's going to be an absolute cracker. This week has been relatively busy. I've been in New York City. I've been in New Jersey. I'm taking a little trip up to Connecticut in the very near future. So kind of all mm -hmm. over the tri-state talking all things whiskey and kind of having a blast. What about yourself? What have you been up to? Nice, mate. Nice. Uh, yeah. Well, not as uh, glamorous as that or as unglamorous because I know what it's like when you do all that kind of shit. Uh, just been hanging out in space, I might just chilling out. February is my kind of quiet month right now. So just getting my, my ducks in a row, getting everything together before the uh, the craziness starts that's going to happen and probably next month, actually. Um, but yeah, man, all good, all good. But anyway, let's get into this. Let's get into what everyone's been waiting for here. Here for the man, the myth, and the legend that is Mr. Brendan McCarran. Some say his knowledge of whiskey making is so immense that he was actually abducted by aliens who wanted to learn about whiskey. Now, for those that have been living under a whiskey rock and not heard of Brendan, he is the master distiller for Distel, which means he gets to play with some magical liquid from Tobamori, Deanston, and the legendary Bunahaven. He's also a marathon runner, gaming geek, and professional Alan Partridge impersonator, which we're going to get onto a little bit later on. Brendan, <laughs> welcome to the show again, man. You're one of our first guests here on Not Another Whiskey podcast, which was, I think it was episode nine. Always have always a pleasure to have you here, man. And uh, thanks for being on the show again. And I think you're the most slagged off distiller that we have ever had on the show because you're constantly mentioned on every episode almost. Yeah, uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me back. Uh, also, why? <laughs> why did you do that? <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I think it's fair to say that uh, as well as you know, one of your early guests, I, I have been a listener since day one. And yeah, um, Nicholas, congratulations on your brand new job. And definitely one part of it seems to be slagging me off on most of the other podcasts as I listen in on the train on the way to work. <laughs> I'll try and keep that to minimum. Mitch mentioned before that, you know, that's a very Scottish thing. I think that's been bred out of me now, spending the last kind of 12, 13 years here in the States. So I'll be the much more polite. I'll be the good cop. He'll be the bad cop. <laughs> I was always uh, the bad cop. Always the bad cop, me. Uh, yeah. Congratulations <laughs> on your on your new job, your new gig. Thanks very much. I was going to say it's big shoes to fill, but, you know, Daz was about five foot five, so... 
You'll, you'll be fine. <laughs> five foot five, but with a size 14 shoe. He looked like the letter L when he was standing up straight. So that was... <laughs> <laughs> Right, Brendan, let's get into this. Uh, you know, I know you started your career as a malt master. Uh, then you became, um, well, sorry, a maltster, not a malt master. You started as a maltster, became a distiller yep. working for the likes of Diageo, Glenmorangie, Ardbeg, and then moving into your current position within Distel. Like for a full rundown on Brendan's career, you can check out episode nine, where I pretty much went into every detail of your life. And you did correct me on certain parts of it. I do remember that. Um, but it's an incredible career path that you've had, man. But what I want to ask you is, I want you to fast forward. I know you've, you've got uh, a son, Jamie, um, and I want yep. you to fast forward. Now you're a granddad. Can't be that far off looking at your, your beard that you've got going on right now. Uh, <laughs> but you, you're a granddad. You've got your grandchildren in front of you. You put one of them on your, la on your lap and you tell them about an amazing story that you've had so far in your career. What's it going to be? Oh, God, that's a few. Um, you know, there is, there is a couple of things that, it's quite, a, it's quite a funny word when you use proud. There's quite a few things I'm proud of, but, you know, pride comes for a fall, and it's like, what, is it one of the seven deadly sins? I don't know, but there is uh, there is a couple of things that have happened in my career where I just think, you know, right place, right time, wow, I can't believe I did that kind of things. Uh, I, I guess one is just perfect timing, but when I joined Diageo, I got to be involved in um, the design, the design and conception of the first single malt whiskey distillery built in Scotland in 40 years, and that was Rose Isle. Mm -hmm. um, and it's actually a, a physical building, you know, it, it sits there and it, it makes whiskey and it helps to grow Johnny Walker, one of the most iconic uh, alcohol brands on earth. And I think that's one of those things that, you know, I, I'll be long gone probably soon, the way I'm aging, you know, I'm aging like I'm in an aging <laughs> chamber. Um, rapid maturation, what do you the, think about it? It's right the, here. The Benjamin Button Brendan. of whiskey. The Benjamin yeah, Button of whiskey here. It's like watching that TV, watching that show and rewind. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, <clears throat> I would say probably that that was one of the cool things. Another thing that was super cool was uh, I, I became distillery manager at Oban when I was quite a young pup. So mm -hmm. I came straight off the graduate scheme into a senior managerial role, and you know this guy called Brian Higgs and. My mentor, Mike Jappy, and another guy called Keith Miller, uh, who had faith in me. Uh, you know, I, I was not, this isn't me being humble, you know, what's that? But um, they, I didn't have the ability to do the job at that point, but they said, but he's got the potential and we'll support him. So I got a chance to jump in and, and do that. Um, I think and the other two things... I'm wrong here, Brendan. You were the youngest distillery manager that Diageo had yeah. had at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah, and you t yeah. and talking about big shoes to fill, I remember it was was it Kenny Smith, Kenny Gray, Kenny Gray that you took over. Yeah, from. Kenny Gray. Yeah, yeah, Kenny, Kenny Smith. Was, uh, Kenny Smith is a phenomenal shooting guard for that legacy Houston Rockets team with Hakeem the Dream. But um, it was uh, a yeah, yeah, it was Kenny Kenny Gray that I took over from, and yeah, he'd been working for fifty years in whiskey, and I'd been working for. None. 50 days. <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty phenomenal. Um, and yeah, yeah, I had just a fantastic two years at, at Oban. I guess that's another pretty special thing. Pretty proud to say that I was brave enough as well to to jump from one side of the whiskey making career, which is distilling, um, into whiskey making. So kind of 
went back to square one. So a lot of people thought I was insane for leaving. And I think that was a big thing for me as well. Um, and then I guess yeah. after that, for my, my grandkids, you know, I, I, I live in Stirling. My wife is from Stirling. I live 10 minutes away from Deanston Distillery. I must say it is pretty cool from time to time on a Saturday or a Sunday if I, I don't know, I've left something on the desk at work or I need to nip in and grab something. I take my son up and, you know, there's a little coffee boffy and you can have, you know, a cup of coffee and some pancakes. And there is, okay. it is pretty cool that he says, is this a distillery, Dad? And do you work here? Like, he thinks I own it, which, you know, that <laughs> would be the dream. That would be the dream. Is that, listen, son, you'd be having more than just uh, syrup on the pancakes if I owned this baby. But, um, no, I think it'll probably be something about that. I think it'll be pretty cool to, I, I think I still will live in Stirling until my dying days. So if I have a grandkid and we're lucky enough, then probably it will be pretty cool to take them up there and sort of just see I used to work here, which is, yeah, I think that's, they're, they're probably the, the legacy points I'm thinking about uh, as no, much as cool. anything else. Very cool. Good ever been. I th- I that's think quite a Wuthers well, original Quite a Wuthers original style picture you've painted for us. That old day. <laughs> I remember sitting in Granddad's knee. Yeah. Remember that creepy, creepy weird commercial yeah. that ran for Wuthers yeah, original. And I just Wuthers original sponsor of not another whiskey podcast. I just took it to a weird place like early on. I wanted to get that out of the way. You yeah. know what I mean, just get it done. Get that, rip that bandaid yeah. off. Um, but I mean, you know, Brendan, let's chat about your role, man. When we when you first came on the show. You were very new into it. Uh, I want to say it was like a couple of months, maybe. How has it yeah. been? Now you're, you know, we're a year and a half down down the road. How How's the role going and how's it all been? Yeah, so I'd say give it two months time and uh, that'll be two years. So it'll be two years uh, come April um, at some point. So, yeah, it's going really well, I must say. It was like, a, again, like when I left Diageo to go to uh, Glenmorangie Beg. A lot of people are like, what the hell are you doing? He's lost his mind. Why wouldn't you just stay here? You're doing well. But I knew I needed I knew I knew needed a change. And then when I left Glenmondry again, it was like, it was quite cool again. I kind of went whiskey viral. So it was like a couple of articles went up and people were just like, what the hell is going on here? My Instagram, you know, it blew up. You know, I got like 10 new followers. That's just crazy, crazy growth. <laughs> um, and organic. No less Double digit growth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, I, I had a plan when I when I joined, and I've actually been way more involved in the strategy of the company than I thought I was going to be. But that's amazing. But I knew when I joined, and and, and I say this to everyone, and I don't think it's uh I don't think it's insulting to the people who were already at the still, and I, and I certainly don't mean it to be. But I just felt this is a company that was sitting on three stroke four incredible single malt whiskies, you know, because Tobermory's kind of Tobermory and Leitching, but they don't really fully appreciate how incredible they are. And that was my feeling. And I have had a pretty good career and I have had a a massive range of experiences that have shown me a lot of things. And I've worked with some real geniuses um, who know their stuff, especially when it comes to whiskey. And I just thought there's quite a lot of stuff that I've seen at other places that I think I can kind of put together and form into, this is what I would do if I owned this company. And that's the way I've approached it since I started. And it really has been. Deanston, we need to make more of it. Deanston, we need to trade less of it. Deanston, we need to stop putting it into blends. It's brilliant in blends, I know that, but it's unbelievable on its own. And then a bit of selfishness. I love virgin oak, so I'm just going to start making more virgin oak. 
Um, they were going to cancel Deanston 18 because they weren't sure that it was needed. I fully disagreed with that, and we relaunched Deanston 18, um, and it won Whiskey of the Year, no less. So, I mean, that was pretty cool. Um, and then since then, it's just been, again, with Bonahaven. And these things aren't easy. You can't just do it overnight, but I'm like, we should make more Bonahaven. And year on year, we are making more unpeated, sherried, Isla, single malt Bonahaven. Um Every six months, actually, I'm, I'm moving up, moving up, moving up the the um, capacity of the distillery um, for Leeching and Tobermory. I said, look, Tobermory's amazing, but it's only good when it's really old. So 12 will be the youngest, and let's go older than that when we can. And that's what we do now. So that means we used to be half the year we'd make Tobermory. Now it's only like 10%, 20% of the year that we make Tobermory. The other thing I knew as a smokehead myself um, and uh, <clears throat> genuinely a whiskey drinker is the independent bottling god is Leitchig. Everyone's obsessed with Leitchig. Everyone wants more Leitchig. And I was like, let's make more Leitchig, but let's let's start winning with Leitchig as an OB, you know, an OB, the OG. Let's time it just go nuts with Leitchig. So again, we're making more and more and more Leitchig. And then on top of that, I just think, I think every time we've hired people, there's great people in the team. And I think there has been a great kind of bubbling up where it's went less from me looking like I have two heads every time I say we don't make enough whiskey and we should do more about a single malt. And people just staring at me like you're insane. To actually, I think there's people getting on board and there's some incredible people in our marketing team, some phenomenal salespeople, some brilliant, we've hired quite a few new people who have come in and they've just, everyone that's come in has made the team stronger. And, and genuinely, like, I, I'd, I'd say this just the other day, though, like, like, the, the team I have right now, I, I couldn't be, there's that word again, but I couldn't be prouder of them. What the the diversity, capability, commitment, experience, experience versus like inexperience even, like, it all combines into this like, really strong team. And it's, yeah, it's going really well. So obviously, by the time this podcast comes out, I'll say Brendan can fired and, you know, horrendous dispute. <laughs> all his team file grievance. But, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I honestly, it feels like if I wrote down a list of things that I wanted to happen and be at what stage in two years, feels like we're 99% of the way there. I don't hear of many master distillers getting fired for being so proud of their own liquid and seeing the opportunity to lay down new fill product to build their own brands. Getting, I don't see that being your, the, the the reason you're getting fired. But uh, I, there's plenty I am, of other reasons are going to fire you though. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I am I am quite good at achieving firsts. I would say. <laughs> so on that note, actually, last time you you were on the show, uh, you, you were speaking very much about Dean and Virgin Oak, and I'm I'm a personally I've got a massive passion for this because ourselves, I don't know if you know this or not, I'm part uh, co-founder and, and head of whiskey for Shibui Japanese Whiskey. We make a 10-year-old virgin white oak in Okinawa, Japan, and it is our highest scoring whiskey, like consistently like 95 points at IWSC, 95 points at Allman Spirits Challenge, things like that. We're really proud of it as well. So I love getting into the geeky side of this. Why have you got such a passion for, for Deanston Virgin White Oak? It was your favourite dram last time you were in the show. Is that still the case? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's 100% still the case. So, well, I, I, I can assess a, a few times to different people. I'm really lucky, right? So I get to be a, a whiskey maker. I, I've, I've been able to work in the whiskey industry for almost 20 years, and I get access to the good stuff, if you like. 
But genuinely, I am a whiskey drinker, first and foremost. You know, you will find me in the... If I go to Glasgow, you'll always see me in the pot still, because I want to try some decent drams. Don't be wrong, I'll, I'll even nip in there just for a pint, because I just want to eyeball what's on the shelves and get a kind of feel for what's going on. Um, I'll read whiskey magazines. I listen to whiskey podcasts, including this podcast, and I always promote it, because it's brilliant. Well done. But I am a, I'm a, I'm a whiskey geek. I, I, I love whiskey. And I live right next to Deanston Distillery. So quite a lot of times people would come and visit and they'd say, oh, well, when, when I work for, say, Glenmondier, I work for Diageo. Or can we go to one of your distilleries? And I'm like, well, they're kind of, they're miles away. But there's a distillery right up the road. There's Deanston. So we'd go up and visit Deanston. And just over time, I would just try different whiskies, pick up little taster packs or taste things on tastings. And Virgin Oak was the one that just really stood out to me. I am a lover of a... Let's call it, a, I'll say, an ex-bourbon barrel. But you know what I mean? I'm a lover of kind of American oak-influenced whiskies, yep. uh, first and foremost. And <clears throat> I would also say that there was quite a lot of scotches that were starting to play with virgin oak and experiment with it. And I would really say that people either didn't respect the cask enough and it just got swamped and started tasting like a, a bourbon, but like a, like a poor bourbon, because I'm a bourbon drinker too. So they just overwrote it, if you like. So then there was almost like a, an overcorrection the other way, you know, turning the wrong way in a skid in a car. So they, they just started putting it in there for like a month and then get it out so we can technically call it virginal, but it just tastes exactly the same as what we were doing before. And I honestly felt it was Deanston, and this has nothing to do with me. This is long before I had any association with the company, but I thought Deanston were really nailing the virgin oak category. So I liked it from various different angles. And then the other bit is just, just love it to drink. Dead easy to drink. Um, super accessible, very affordable. Great in cocktails. Everyone that knows me knows I love an old-fashioned more than any other cocktail. Makes an amazing one. But it's just it's just a brilliant whiskey, frankly. And then since I joined, I was like, why is it not as loved as, it, as I think it should be? Uh, I, I did put in my own touch to the recipe. And that wasn't, I swear, it wasn't ego-led. I just saw ways that I thought it could be tightened up and made, well, let's say, more consistently high quality. So I kind of increased the average age that went in for the finishing and also changed the finishing cast exclusively to char four, um, alligator-style uh, char four casks. And I think the proof's in the pudding. We cannot keep up with demand right now. Deanston is, you know, absolutely on fire as a as a product, not just virginal Deanson in general, but but it's amazing to see. And now we're getting great problems of how on earth do we keep up with this? How do we keep people happy? How do we keep product on shelves? How do we the other problems we're facing now as opposed to how do we keep the quality consistent or or how do we tell people what Deanston is? Can you geek out on the so you talk about going into that kind of alligator char. Can you tell our listener just what that exactly does to the wood and influence of, of what that's going to have on the whiskey? simple terms because I've got a, a good friend as well as a supplier, Martin Purvis, who works for Kelvin Cooperage and, and he'll go, oh, you said this, it wasn't quite right. And I'm like, Martin, I'm, I'm trying to broad brush it here a bit, mate. But I know for a fact he listens as well. So he'll phone me as soon as he hears this going, you got it wrong. You weren't quite right. <laughs> but essentially, like the, you, you can toast and char a cask. So when you do this, the primary reason for toasting and charring casks is the addition of heat makes the wood pliable, and that's how you bend the wood to make it the shape of a cask. 
as the evolution of cask manufacture has grown and the understanding of the art and the science of coopering has grown, you'll notice that toasting of a cask is all you need to do to bend the wood. And when you toast the cask, you create some flavours, um, some very typical oaky flavours. However, when you increase the heat on the wood, so that rather than it simply, you know, getting warm, the surface literally starts to break up and catch fire. That's when you go from toasting to charring. Um, if you char for a tiny amount of time and a tiny amount of temperature, don't ask me the exact, I'm, I'm not a cooper, but a light char will be called a char one. Then you'll have a slightly higher char, a medium char will be a char two or a char three. Then when you heavily, heavily char, you get to up to char four. This has existed for a long, long time. Just recently, I hear talk of a char five, and that kind of, if I could be, I'd do a Roger Moore and make my eyebrow go up because <laughs> I can't help but feel that just sounds like, let's just say it's more than four because that sounds cool. But essentially, <laughs> the heavier you toast and char, the more flavours within the wood you're going to activate. So the more flavourful the cask is going to be. The other thing is, as you increase the char, the more porous the surface of the wood is going to be. So the whiskey, the spirit that you fill into the cask, it's going to easier go in and out and in and out of the staves so that when it goes in, it comes out with all these lovely vanilla and coconut and honey and Warder's original flavours that come back and also colour. So roughly speaking, a lightly charred cask will give you light oaky flavours and light colour. A heavier charred cask will give you heavier levels of the same flavours, so a more intense toffee, coconut, honey, caramel, and also a deeper colour. And Mitch loves a charcuterie, so what is that in comparison? Yeah, a charcuterie <laughs> is a tragedy of branding, because it's frankly one of the greatest <laughs> meals you can have, but a lot of people don't discover it until they're in their 30s, because you're too terrified and awkward <laughs> as a teenager or a 20-something to ask, what the f is that? I'm going to mispronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brennan, that's interesting. You're talking about, you know, charring, kind of what you've been doing with uh, Deanston and changing Virgin Oak. I remember last time we chatted on the podcast, you said your mission with the Stell was to go crazy, quote unquote, on the experimental side of things. So now you've had over well over a year. Let's chat about what you've been doing on the experimental side of things in your in your role. Yeah, so I'm sure that's probably what I said because I say a lot of things. But in a way, I think what we were trying to do was, I think maybe what I was trying to say is like, well, let's go a bit crazier on the scale of the innovations we do. So I think if even still, if you come and visit Deanston Distillery Shop, you walk in and it's a bit like, you ever seen that scene in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with the first walk into the room of candy? You know, and he, he holds them all back and then he lets them go and, they all scatter in different directions because everyone's just like, oh my God, look at all this stuff. You know, um, we do. We were doing an awful lot of very small one-off innovations. And it was kind of like, if you saw it, you got it. And if you showed up two days later, tough luck, it was gone. But here's the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. So what we've been trying to do is like <clears throat> innovate at scale. And this is, for example, Bonahaven. So the face release, Avenarig, we, we made it bigger. You know, it's still a, it's still a tiny batch, 
but we made it bigger. So rather than only being available on the island on the day, you can now buy it um, across the world in small amounts in our main markets, let's say. So that was like a, taking an innovation and rather doing, you know, two or three casks combined, we're combining, let's say, 15 or 20 casks instead, just so that people have got a chance. If they really like it, they can buy it. It's the same for Deanston, trying to get like um, one or two really cool innovations a year or three so that people can come. So one of the, one of the very unsurprising, I guess, to people innovations that I did first was I really love the way virgin oak acts at higher strengths. So we did a we did a fifty five percent kind of nominated strength virgin oak, which we released only in the distillery. It's almost like a test and learn. You know, I love it at the higher strength. I wanted to see what other people thought, and it's been like a a wild success. So that's disappeared. So that's now got me thinking about how can we innovate around Deanston virgin oak. What can we do that's cool, fun, but also you know, makes sense for Deanston as a distillery. Uh, organic, we release one organic a year. Um, with age, so we released a, a 2000 vintage organic. So that was like 21 years old when it came out. And again, it was like a phenomenal hit in pheno, organic pheno sherry casks. And um, <clears throat> the way that that's worked, I think we're going to do a small one-off organic release every year. Um then beyond that, like Tobermory and Leitchie, definitely just the way that distillery is and the way that our stock is and the way that the way it's, it is a quirky distillery. So probably do a lot of sort of random off-the-wall one-offs here and there. Finding a lot of fun putting Leitchie into red wine, <clears throat> various different styles of red wine from all around the world, different species of oak. It does some pretty cool things. And with Bonnehaven, I'll be honest, I think Bonnehaven deserves to be treated with the respect that it's earned. You know, it is like a classic whiskey. It's just phenomenal spirit made out of an incredible, prestigious distillery, and it just works in sherry. So we can still innovate and do fun things, but I want it to really focus around sherry in the main. But that still leaves a huge amount of opportunities. And our third release of the Bonnehaven 12 cash strength will launch um, soon this summer. And the first two releases have been like a massive hit too. So, yeah, now that I see it, we actually do do an awful lot of innovation, but, <laughs> but uh, we're trying to streamline it a bit. And it's amazing to see. I mean, I was down at Boonhaven recently, and you know, you guys have done that incredible visitor center down there, it just taking advantage of the fact that it's right on the water. Uh, when I was there, it was just a calm day, and you could literally just sit there on that amazing porch you've got, and the the, the sound of the the ocean just coming in and it was it was like some kind of meditation area that you guys have created there with the sound of the, the, yeah. the rocks you know just it was it was beautiful but anyway talking about that you know you guys have done you're investing a lot within the visitor centers uh both at Tobamori, Bunahaven. can you talk a little bit about what's going on there with your visitor experience and and all that kind of good stuff that you guys are doing yeah i'd say i'd say it's been you know it's come up two years for me and what's, what's been really cool is the first year there was an awful lot to be done. The first year there was systems to put in place and plans to be made. I had to learn more about my team. I had to learn more about the whiskies than just as a, you know, a punter drinking them in my spare time. Uh, I had some things to put in place. There was there was some very fundamental things that had to be fixed too. But definitely one of the missings in the first year, which is kicking in now, which is great. So I kind of joined, you know, during COVID, 
you know, and still lockdowns and still people not allowed on site and still social distancing and all that kind of stuff. And that's all started to lift and it's been fantastic. It, it's, it's it's great to, don't get me wrong, there is times when it, it's, it doesn't come without its complications, you know, when a, a, sorry, a, a tourist gets a wee bit lost and wanders into your office in the middle of a key meeting with your boss and asks where the toilet is. That's, that's, that's one of those uh, industrial hazards that comes with being a master distiller. But <laughs> it's just it's just great to have people back on the sites. And definitely what we're now doing is um, I'm working with the teams. We we have like once a quarter, we just meet at Deanston. All the visitor simps come there. And it is kind of like a QA. and a They just fire questions at me or tell me the, the most asked questions they get during tours or they ask about certain things, whiskey myths, or they say, I would talk about the whiskey this way. Is that okay? Or how do you understand this happens? You know, uh, obviously, why do you always talk about Deanston being waxy, which is my absolute obsession? How do you make up waxy? But we're sort of building this kind of team and we're working out how we want to communicate about these distilleries um, all the time. And that never ends. It's, you can't just write a script for your distilleries and then just leave it, you know, because it's out of date the day you've written it. So we're working really hard on that. And I think... As a team as well. I mean, go to go to Bonnerhaven. Um, if you're a if you've visited that a few times in the past, we've painted it. Bonnerhaven's white again, and then going to the still house. I've just had the stills lacquered, and they look unbelievable. You know, it's actually it's as beautiful on the outside as as the whiskey that it makes these days. So that's another part of just trying to reward and make it a worthwhile trip for everyone that comes and visits all three of our distilleries. Tobermory, I think, looks incredible right now with. It's it's not for it's not for a lack of money or elbow grease, but I'm really really proud of how it looks now. Well, I'm looking That's forward fantastic. to seeing that, mate, because uh, I'm going to be there next month on a on a wee lads trip over to Mull. So hopefully you're going to be there as well. We yeah, can have yeah, a couple of yeah. couple of beers and a couple of drams over there. Yeah, yeah, damn right. And like, honestly, like, you will see it. I know you will when you go and look at it. It's what a transformation it's it's had, and you know. I mean. I remember last time I was there it was a while ago and it was literally, it wasn't in production and, and you know, it was like the washbacks were leaking and there was a lot of money that needed spent on it. I mean, I'm going back way five, six years ago now. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah 2017, 2019, it would have been yeah, yeah. between 2017. There's just, there's not, there's, there's no criticism of people who are there, but genuinely just, Almost culturally, we forgot to love that distillery as much as we should have, and we forgot to appreciate just how amazing it was. But but we're doing that now, you know. And the great thing is, there was never any corners cut on the wood budget, and there was never corners cut on how the distillery actually ran. It was just more about the, you know, the the aesthetics really, and just just being proud of the place that you work in. And I think that's, I definitely think that's something that I've brought, and something that my boss as well really supports, because the that's place should look great, you know. Yeah. And that's it. People remember that when they come and they visit a distillery site. You see that 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 investment right across Scotland and, and lots of different distilleries and visitor experiences and visitor centers. And I think it, you know, that's what people take away as well. You know, that moment of, you know, drinking a whiskey at a site like that. Like Boonahaven to me is still one of the most beautiful locations I've ever been to. Like there's nothing like it. There's and and that's an unusual thing to say about Scotland because there's so many vast, beautiful places to see. But Boonahaven sitting at that cove, just looking out is absolutely breathtaking. Nothing yeah. like it. No, I something I want to touch on, Brennan, that you talked about in the last episode, which was your kind of hate of the word terroir, which I agree with. But what I yeah. always talk about is how agriculture shapes whiskey. So in Scotland, you know, we grow wheat and we grow barley. 
and it all dates back to you know this kind of 15th 16th century of you know distilling illicit distilling moonshine in scotland and the, the kind of agriculture shaping the whiskey of the land uh you know working in japanese whiskey where that's just completely alien you know all malt whiskey that's made in japan the grains are not from japan so most people don't know that and I think that that's one of the things that, you know, if you look at other parts of the world, it really is focused on the agricultural aspect. That's where it all begins. So with you guys, you know, you touched on organic with Deanston. Walk us through, you know, your your passion, you know, as a maltster initially, uh, your passion for cereal and grain strains and, and barley strains and things like that and how that really affects the liquids. Yeah, so, so yeah, terroir is just an amazing word. You know, and I am a wine drinker and I do love wine and in previous roles. Mo Hennessy owned a lot of very prestigious vineyards and I was lucky enough to go and visit them. And when you go there, you actually go, yeah, I understand what this terroir thing is. That's incredible. That field right there makes these unbelievable grapes with this huge acidity and balance. And this one right here next to it, because it's a different soil composition and a slightly different slant and it sees a little bit different sun. It might as well be, you know, smoky whiskey versus unpeated whiskey that you're making, you know. But in that's in wine. In whiskey terms, I just get the feeling that terroir is a cool word. And I remember the first time I learned about terroir, and I could say that to me, oh, I just love the terroir of this wine. They're like, ooh, he sounds so fancy. And I just can't help but feel that we're <laughs> desperately trying to force fit a word into whiskey. So I don't agree that factually it's there. But also, it's just not needed. Let wine be incredible for that fact and for the, the agronomy and the agriculture side that comes to making great wines. But look at the amount of things that influence how whiskey tastes. And it's it's to do with the area that it was constructed in, the, the architect that constructed it in the first place, the, the, the people, which is the big bit that's forgotten, the people who run those places 24-7, who really do influence how that whiskey is made by the touch of their hands and the timing of their watch and their commitment to the routines that they have. And they kind of get overlooking, overlooked quite a lot. The the men and women that run the mash tons and the still houses and the, the fill the casks and warehouse them where they warehouse them. But there's, there's just a huge amount of things that play into making Scotch whiskey and making it so diverse because it is really diverse. Um, and it's, it's just, it's not terroir. But on malting, it's just kind of, it's the first place I ever worked when I got into the whiskey industry. I worked at Burkhead Maltings and uh, I got paired up with an operator um, who was Doric. So I don't know if you ever spoke to anyone who speaks Doric, but my God, I just moved north from Cope Bridge. It's the furthest north I've ever been in my life. And he was giving me instructions on what to do in Doric, which might as well have been a foreign language. Do your best but Doric time, accent. <laughs> Fash, fitch, fist, the new maloon, fash. That was basically <laughs> all I heard uh, all day long. Uh, and then I got assigned a mentor, Mike Jaffe, who, who sadly isn't with us anymore. And, and Mike was kind of Doric as well. So I was just like, what are they doing to me? What are they doing to me? I don't understand the word. But I think, unfortunately, you can't really do it that much. But there's a couple of floor maltings you can visit. But see the art and the science and the skill and the amazing stories that exist in maltings, they are unreal. And that was kind of like where my first passion kicked off was in malting. I kept coming into work at Birkin going, I can smell strawberry yogurt. And people were just looking at me like, what, what are you talking about, son? What, what's going on? Like, 
your lunchbox. And I was like, I can smell it. I can, I can honestly smell strawberry yogurt. And then eventually I started smelling like smoky tea. Uh, and then eventually I'd smell, it's not strawberry yogurt anymore. Um, I can smell like watermelon and grapefruit. And it was only fast forward four or five years when I was in charge of Portel and Maltings and I found display posters on the wall going up the stairs. And it was a picture of Lapsang, Souchong, and um, watermelon and strawberry yogurt. And I was like, what's this? And I'm like, that's the different stages of malt. And it used to be checked on a sensory basis for the moisture. So that's when I actually realised that I had quite a good nose and I was quite good at sensory. It was from malting. It was nothing to do with whiskey. But there's just all these incredible quirks and fates and tricks and things that were understood by people hundreds of years ago without the scientific knowledge we have now, which are just amazing. It was, it really was sight, touch, smell, taste that dictated a good maltster from a bad maltster. So from there, my obsession just sort of grew and grew and grew. Then I did my, you know, IBD whiskey exams. And then you have to study quite a lot about barley breeds, barley varieties, malting effects. And it's just kind of, it's just kind of went from there. Then I got to run a, you know, after working in Burkhead, I got to be responsible for all the smoky malt production on Isla with Port Ellen. And yeah, it just grows. And I think it is, it's kind of like a, it's not a tragedy or end, but it is an unforgotten, it's a forgotten part of the amazing whiskey making process. Um, and it's just a wee bit sad that that happens. It's yeah. a start. It's without it, it's fundamentally uh, this, this, I have a shared passion for this, and that's why I'm kind of geeking out on it, because fundamentally, this is where it begins. It begins with the grain, it begins with the cereal. You know, you can fast forward to the liquid and the casks, but you need to get there. So you need to go back to the start and be like, how you know, walk through a barley field, you know, like like you were saying the last time you were on, you know, that 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 moment of watching Gladiator and feeling like I'm, yeah. I'm tuning into the wrong thing here. <laughs> but that's it, right, isn't it? Like, it's that moment of going like, ah, oh, what a field. What a field of barley. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing stuff. And it's definitely, it was when I first sort of clicked and I went, I get this. I want to do this for the rest of my life. This is, this is amazing. I think we could talk, we could probably do another whole episode on this quite easily and get in, go down this rabbit hole with you, um, which is absolutely fascinating. But I want to change the subject a little bit. I want to talk about your old-fashioned making skills. How's that going these days? Are you still asking uh, Jason and Ryan for recipe tips? Have you got a top three now since we last talked? Like, what, what's going on here? I haven't spoke to Ryan or Jason for tips on old-fashioned making in a while. That was, but they were They're definitely ones you now. Aye, exactly. <laughs> Who's Mr. Lion? Who he? Um, congratulations <laughs> as well, Mr. Lion. You got married in Vegas. I, I mean, basically everything the guy does is just like cool, you know. He's just a cool guy. But uh, he he was the one that kind of gave me a, a bit of a kick up the arse when he's like, look, it's not that hard to make an old-fashioned. You can do it in the house. Hurry up. Just go on with it. But it's going well. It's going well. It's turned into like a not every Friday, but most Fridays, once work is done, maybe that sort of five o'clock time, you know, wee man's back from school, my wife's maybe or maybe not back from work, but soon to be, weekend's kind of beginning. It's just a nice time to sit down, have a wee, have a wee old-fashioned. And I always loved uh, Glenn Morringy, keen to the van in an old-fashioned. I always said that was a great old-fashioned. But Deanston, the more and more and more that I looked at it, it's a waxy spirit. And I always talk about the waxiness of Deanston. It's it's like a bourbon lead spirit. It's got depth, it's got it's got uh, posture. It's also at 46.3, so that 
slightly increased ABV just makes it stand up. And then also one of the signature notes that Dean's done after the waxiness is it has got this kind of orange peel, orange oil flavour to it. So my two absolute favourite old fashions are both Deanston Virgin Oak. And it's as simple as this. I, I, I like them quite savoury, if you will. So I like one part sugar to one part water, simple syrup. And I use a, a dash. It's like a dash of simple syrup. I know the official measures are always too sweet for me. but And I like it quite bitter heavy as well. So rather than two dashes of bitters, I'm probably, you know, you know, a good old... You know, a good old shake with that as well. A good, a good so, old scoosh, as we say in Scotland. Yeah, 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 yeah. A decent, a decent scoosh. Uh, uh, it's traditional, but but I'm a traditionalist, I guess. So tiny bit of simple syrup and traditional Angostura, I think, makes like a an, a, an, an awesome, awesome, awesome old-fashioned. I also love sort of doubling down on the orange. So orange uh, garnish and orange bitters. And it is really quite fruity and quite juicy. But that's also one that I go to quite a lot. Not favourite old fashioned. They're, they're definitely my top two. They're the two that nice. I go back to and back to and back nice. to. Um, just before Christmas, I made one with Dean's an eighteen year old. I don't think I do that every day of the week. You know, I think eighteen year old really is meant to be drank neat or we a, a splash of water or something like that. But you know, it was Christmas. We're being decadent. Yeah. We've had a good the, year. Deals are up. The elevated old fashioned. So speaking yeah. of speaking of old and fashioned. Uh, any good chats or catch-ups with Dr. Bill recently? Well, it's interesting <laughs> nice you ask that. Like, <laughs> I'm actually going to see the rugby <laughs> this weekend, and I will go for a pint or two with Dr. Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Does he go nuts when you do that in front of him? <laughs> uh, yeah, he always goes, how dare you, you? And it's like lots of sweary words, and I think it's slightly too camp. For Bill, but you know, uh, <laughs> you got you got to parody it a little bit. But no, no, no. So, so I'll see Bill. Um, I'll see Bill this weekend. Uh, we catch up on the phone all the time, and we'll, we'll shoot WhatsApps to each other of random Goodfella movie references. And if he's drinking something nice, a good whiskey or a good bottle of wine, he'll, he'll take a snap of it. Same for me. Um, he sent me a really nice message because just recently I was on the cover of Whiskey Magazine, which was fame at last, you know. Um, so we had a good catch up with that. And but yeah, this uh, this Saturday or Sunday uh, we'll be in Edinburgh, so we're going to like we're going to go and see the rugby with a group of people. But we we meet up in a pub first, so we'll get a two two or three swift pints together just to have a proper catch up, and then we'll hang out afterwards and just uh, have a good. Have a good, a good, a good kick of the ball, as they say. I call him just before Christmas as well. But he's doing good. It's good. He's still. Right. It's quite a funny one. I think he was still quite annoyed that I left because he's like, he's just stayed. There's loads to do here, and I agreed. But it was the right time to leave. So I think he gets that too. Yeah, no, and, and that's what I love about the industry, right? I mean, you know, you've gone to work for a different company. He's still over there doing his thing, but you guys are still mates, and that's it's it's one yeah. big happy family within the scotch whiskey industry which is uh something that always makes me happy when i uh when i work in this industry you know yeah yeah we're, we're still mates definitely but but it's it's even more than that like if i you know I, I do think i know my stuff but if i was struggling with something or or if i just wasn't sure of something you know i know for a fact that this is probably where i, I should see my boss and uh, all the high up ones aren't listening but I know I could speak to him in confidence. You know, if I said, here's something I'm working on, a cask or a, 
or a, a project or a, a this or a that. I know I could just like, say, can I ask you something? He'd just pick up the phone and he would give me his two cents, you know, and say, that's very cool. I really think you should do this or I think you should do that. And, and he does ask me as well. He asks me for advice on certain things from time to time. So, so I'm a good mate, but also it's a wee bit more than that as well. So, Nice, man. Well, I'm going to be at rugby on, on the weekend as well. So hopefully I catch up with you boys there. Um, so, Brendan, one of the things I did before we started recording this today was I put it out to our listeners on Instagram if they had any questions for you. We got some yep. quite interesting <laughs> ones coming back, to say the least. Um, so I'm going to read some of them out and, you know, you can answer them or not answer them. It depends on, uh, on how you feel about the question, obviously. The first one I got was from Woven, the boys at Woven. So I think it's Duncan McRae that, that looks after their Instagram page. And he said, remember the time we went out clubbing in Oban? Don't know if yes. you remember doing that with, with Duncan. It was probably a good story there, I'd imagine. And yes, sir. Then... <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> and then he asks, and maybe a question you may or may not want to answer this, would the Stell supply stocks for Woven? Yeah, so hard question to answer and probably an easier one to talk about ourselves. What I would say is I'm maybe, maybe being a wee bit selfish at the moment because I think in the past the Stell used to supply stocks to to a lot of people because you know it's a way to generate cash and stuff but you know we are really really growing especially with, there, there's no such thing as a spare cask of bonner having it's just every single litre is a prisoner Deanston I'm not just making this up the demand the pool the recognition for Deanston's through the roof um Lechig, same story. I just, I just cannot make enough of the stuff. So I'm almost trying to buy stock in for Black Bottle and for Scottish Leader. And I'm trying to protect, protect, protect. You know, but a classic answer I give to questions all the time is never say never. You know, if we can, if we can help, we we are part of a, an industry, you know, and the success of Woven uh, is, is important to the success of Scotch Whiskey. And we are part of Scotch Whiskey too. So we can try to, we can try to. You know, and it is woven's cool as well. So congratulations, guys. Yeah, like, they're doing a great done. job, for sure. Yeah. All right, and then we had another question from Tim who goes under the handle uh, Peated Perfection Whiskey. I think we've touched on this already, but what are the plans uh, for the three distilleries or future plans for the three distilleries and any new cask types that are promising? Yeah, so so let, let, let me lightly answer that question with a different thing. But here's what works for the distilleries in my head and what I've worked out in the last two years. So for Bonahaven, do not change it. Do not be that guy. So it's Isla, it's majority unpeated, and it works incredible in Oloroso Sherry in particular. So Isla, unpeated, sherried, classic ages as well. So Sturador as a non-age is fantastic. 12, 18, 25, they, they win every award going. So... Yep. The real challenge for Bonahaven for me is don't fuck it up. I, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And make more. And this doesn't mean mass production. I just mean move mm. it slowly up to its full capacity. Secure cask supply. I'm going to hurry this month to secure more sherry supply, secure the money, secure the spaces for it to be stored in, keep the team happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So with Bonahaven, Isla Unpeated Sherry. For Deanston, we're kind of spoiled for choice. Deanston makes incredible non-age whiskies, makes incredible old whiskies. It works great in every cask going. So Deanston's almost like 
control the inner creativity of me, of Julianne and my team, of Julianne's blending team. Just don't go so nuts or go nuts, but just one nut at a time. Um, so try and grow <laughs> the kind of try and grow the spine. Virgin Oak 12, 18. Maybe try and establish a 25-year-old. That's not some hint, hint. It's just if we can, we would do something like that. I think that would yeah. be really cool. But yeah, innovate around Virgin Oak and innovate around cool and funky casks because Deanston just works in them. Mm. Um, for Leachig, Leachig, yeah, non-age and the, the 10 and the 18. 18 just won Whiskey of the Year. So that's pretty phenomenal. So it's going to be a big year for Leachig. I'm also finding that Leachig just works great in big casks. So big sherries, but especially red wine and also red wine sort of derived marsalas these kind of red marsalas as well. So marsala casts and red wine casts is really occupying all of my spare thoughts at the moment. And I've got massive plans for, for Leitchig, um, Tobermory, the 12 and older. Nothing young from Tobermory. It just takes time. And also I've switched the production of Tobermory. One less batch a year, uh, one less batch a week when we're making Tobermory slightly longer fermentation and do it in the winter. Just take care and give it the respect that it deserves, but release it old. And that's quite cool. That's the first time I've really had a distillery where I know all of the whiskey is going to be matured for 12 years minimum. Yeah. That's unusual. And that changes how confident you can be about what cash you buy up front. So I'm pretty excited about that. This is a this is quite a weird one. I wouldn't say it's more of a question, but more of a statement. Uh, so Darren at Glen Cairns says, <laughs> "What's got two eyes and stinks of fish?" <laughs> the answer is Airdrie. <laughs> <laughs> so Darren oh, is the head of sales. That's us just isolated all our listener in Airdrie. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> I better explain that Darren's the head of sales, um, sales and marketing for Glencairn, and his boss Paul owns Glencairn from Airdrie. So uh, he met me. I'm from Coke Bridge. There's a good Coke Bridge Airdrie rivalry. So he was slagging off Coke Bridge, and I said, "What's good to rise and smells of fish?" Uh, but you know, <laughs> people in glass houses. I'm from Coke Bridge. Darren's from Wishaw. So uh, Paul, Paul can give as good as he gets in that one. Brilliant. No, thanks, thanks. I've met Darren before. Actually, he's a good lad. So thanks for sending that in, Darren. Um, so last question that we got was from Whiskey Graham. asks uh, any new black bottle releases in the pipeline? Yes, yes. So a um, couple of things for black bottle. It's again one of the things that really what caught my eye when this job uh, was spoken about, and when I was thinking about taking it, is I just think can't believe that Black Bottle is, you know, as unknown as it is for the quality um, and the heritage and the, the whiskies that go into it, frankly. Um, so there's there's lots of work on sort of not redeveloping, but just sort of finessing and correcting and perfecting the recipe for the traditional Black Bottle. But we're also going to try and do big things with the 10-year-old Black Bottle, you know, uh, Mitch, you and I have got a, a mutual friend, Mark, uh, Mark Thompson at, at Glen Fiddick. But I posted once about a 10-year-old black bottle, and he's like, oh, special edition, when's this launching? And I was like, no, it's permanent. It's been out for two, three years. So I had to bring him one. I took him one at the, the London Whiskey Show, and he's like, I had no idea. He said, honestly, I had no idea. 
But I think that basically sums it up. So people in whiskey mm-hmm. don't even know that Black Bottle has a permanently available 10-year-old. So there's big plans for that as well. It's really incredible whiskey. But we also have um, our Alchemy series. So we release one or two special editions a year under Black Bottle's Alchemy series. Um, <clears throat> we had two just come out. So we had an Andean Oak, uh, which launched. And then we had one that was just using quite a lot of smoke and some ex-Lechig smoky casks. And it was called Smoke and Dagger. So those two, I don't know if they're still available. They were incredibly popular. And so this year, we'll launch the next in the Alchemy series. And it'll be spectacular and amazing, but I'll not say any more than that just yet. Yeah, we actually talked about them on the show, and you guys did send us some samples, but they were sent to Daz. And when samples Ah. got sent to Daz, I never saw any of them. So I unfortunately, I haven't tried any of that yet, but Daz was absolutely (laughs) raving about it. So, Seems to be well, the running theme here, Mitch, doesn't it? <laughs> like, right. yeah. Did Daz get it? Cool. All right. Just disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> Daz is like the dodgy FedEx guy, isn't he? <laughs> like, <laughs> the samples just, oh, I'm sure I shipped that to you. Oh, very good. That's why I actually got chucked off the show. It was nothing to do with him getting a new job. It was just because he never gave me the fucking samples. <laughs> exactly. He's light fingered. Uh, Brendan, as always, you've been an, a fountain of whiskey knowledge and it's been a pleasure to meet with you and sit and go over all of this. But before you go, the last time you finished in the show, you, you bounced out with an Alan Partridge impersonation and no pressure, but it would be a joy to finish on another one. So no pressure. It's like, be funny. <laughs> well, I've actually noticed, I've, I've had a sore of throat and it's not COVID, but it's made me sound like I'm old. Alan Partridge. <laughs> yes, mate. Love it. That's legendary. Very good. Very good. <laughs> well, Brendan, as, as Nicholas said, always a pleasure to have you on the show, man. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Hopefully you've enjoyed this episode and, and all this chat. Uh, Brendan, as always, we've enjoyed chatting to you. We love to have you on the show. We'll continue to slag you off on the show. Uh, thank you so much for listening as well, man. Um, great to, to have you on board with us. And uh, shameless plug for yourself and the brands before you go, mate. Where can everyone find you on, on social media and when can, where can they find the brands? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you find me on, I only do Instagram. So you find me on Instagram on MCC underscore Brendan, various old fashions, some terrible reels, um, and the occasional photo of my son. So you'll see me on MCC Brendan and then you'll find Deanston Malt, uh, Tobermory Distillery, and Bonahaven on Instagram as well. Uh, Black Bottle uh, as well, so at Black Bottle on Instagram. You'll find us in all the usual places, but yeah, please come see us. Ask me any question you want. I tend to answer every single question that gets asked on Instagram. Super. Well, thanks again, Brendan. And guys, tune in for the next episode when we'll be talking all things whiskey with some more great guests. If you haven't signed up for a mailing list, then do yourself a favor and do it right now at notanotherwhiskeypodcast.com as we will be offering tickets for our whiskey live shows that will be coming up later in the year. Thanks again. Don't drink more. Drink better. Cheers. Oh, is that is that a new tagline you put in there? We don't, I don't think we agreed on that.